Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. Adaptabar is changing the way law students prepare for the bar exam with licensed MBE questions from the NCBE and patented adaptive technology that adjusts to each individual user's study needs. Adaptabar's algorithm quickly learns your strengths and weaknesses to present questions accordingly, and performance tracking allows you to view your progress over time in every subject and subtopic. Every question comes with a detailed explanation, and all questions are maintained to accommodate changes in the law as well as the style of present-day bar exam questions. When we studied for the bar exam in July, we used Adaptabar. And honestly, we can say, John Grossman, we stan him. So for a limited time only, Ladies Who Law School listeners can save $30 on their MBE prep program by using the code LWLS on adaptabar.com at checkout. For most of us, when we decide that we're going to law school, we have zero idea what type of lawyer we want to be. I know that that was the case when I started. Usually what most of us know about being a lawyer basically comes from Law & Order or Legally Blonde. Shout out to our girl Elle Woods. So if you're thinking about going to law school or already in law school and want to get some clarity about what types of law actually exist out there and what type of law might be a good fit for you, then we have just the thing for you. A longtime friend of our podcast and law school extraordinaire, Angela Vorpal, has put together a free What Type of Lawyer Should I Be quiz. And I can't tell you guys how many times when I was in, like, not only law school, but before law school, looking up, like, what kind of lawyer should I be? And I wish that there was, like, a quiz out there. So here it is. And we'll have all the links for you. It's a 90-second quiz designed to give you a window into what your best fit type of law would be. Awesome, right? So you can take the quiz at whattypeoflawyerquiz.com. Hi, guys, and welcome back to Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Haley. And I'm Sam. And this week, we have a very special guest, you guys. She led the legal team at Gucci for over 10 years. I mean, straight up, ladies who law school dream job right here, guys. She did it, and now she runs her own firm and is what we like to call the fashion fixer. Yes, guys, this is definitely an episode that you do not want to miss because if you know Haley and I 
like Haley said, this is like one of our dream jobs that like we would always been talking about like, oh my God, I'd love to be the lawyer of like Gucci and like she was. So let's dive in. Please help me welcome our guest, Miss Nicole Mara. Hi, Nicole. Hi, ladies. How are you? We're doing well. So Nicole, tell us and the listeners a little bit about yourself. It's great to be here. Thank you. I will be happy to share more about myself, but I first have to say that I love this podcast idea and I wish that you guys were here when I was in law school because I really could have used it. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I also don't know how you find the time. <laughs> you know what? We're slowly figuring it out, first struggling it with law school and now as working women, um, we're yeah. going to hang of it. Yeah. It's not easy. So I am a lawyer and a CEO and an entrepreneur and a mom and a fixer. And so I guess those are sort of a few of the many hats I wear, and I would love to talk with you more about them, but um, want to start where it makes sense for you guys. Well, I guess let's just start with the most obvious law school when did you decide that you wanted to be a lawyer or, you know, was that in high school earlier or was it just on a whim? Um, sure. My parents were a, uh, my mother was a psych social worker, psychologist and a social worker. And my father was a lawyer. And to be really honest, I think I never realized there was another option for me except to be one of those professions. <laughs> so when I was in college, I was a psych major and psychology major. And um, I decided that I would go to law school after taking a year off um, to explore a bit. But I always knew that it was either one or the other for me. And, um, and I didn't look back. So when you decided to go to law school, you know, did you apply to a lot of places or did you have your eyes set on one school? How was that process? So for me, I think because of my interest in um, psychology and in people, really, I had some experiences in college with, you know, public interest work, working with battered women, um, working with underrepresented um People. And so I really wanted to go to law school where there were great public interest programs. Um, and so at the time, you know, I looked into that. I also felt like I really wanted to be on one of the coasts. I had grew up on the East Coast in the Northeast um, in, in and around New York. Um, and I applied to law schools in the sort of Northeast area, and then also out on the West Coast. And in fact, I went after college, I went to San Francisco to spend a year living there. I worked as a paralegal in a law firm part-time, and I volunteered also with some uh, social justice agencies. Very, very cool. So where did you ultimately end up attending law school? So I ended up attending NYU, um, and I had applied my first, I guess I, I applied when I was a senior in college um, to a bunch of schools, um, including Hastings, which was in San Francisco, where I wanted to go. And then I, I think if I recall correctly, I got, def I got put on a wait list 
for NYU my first time, and I got admitted to a couple other schools, but I decided to defer. Um, and I remember being really worried because NYU would not let me defer since I got, I think I got admitted off the wait list at the last minute, but at that point I already decided I wanted to spend the year living and working in San Francisco. And so I um, had to roll the dice um, because I decided I really wanted to go there, but I couldn't defer the acceptance because it came off of a wait list at the time. So um, I think that it was not maybe as competitive or terrifying as it is now when I went, but I did then reapply um, just to NYU and to Hastings. And I luckily I got into NYU and I was thrilled to go there and I loved it actually. And it was an amazing experience. I want to know how it was going to law school in New York, especially NYU. That's a great school. Yeah. Yeah. Like honestly, um, when I was in high school, Mm -hmm. I remember saying, I want to move to New York city. I want to move to New York city. I want to go to NYU. And it just like never happened. Mm -hmm. So I just want to know your experience. Cause like, I want to vicariously live through that. (laughs) Honestly, it was an amazing experience. It was so much fun. It was so hard because, of course, you know, we can talk about all the hardships and and scary elements of law school, Um, but it was so fun living in Greenwich Village, being in New York City. Um, I had grown up in the suburbs, so I had never lived in the city before. Um, So it was, I was as excited as you're talking about to be in the heart of it. And NYU is a really special place. Um, It's got an incredible history that everyone who's there... um, felt incredibly lucky and special to be there. I felt that way. Um, and it was also so much fun. So it was a bit hard managing the social life <laughs> and all the distractions with school commitments. But I felt like we would kind of go into our bubble. You know, we'd go into our law school library studying bubble when we needed to. Um, and then, you know, we'd have fun um, the rest of the time. But it was it, it couldn't have been better, I have to say. It, it was great. What were some things that like specifically that you really enjoyed during law school and you know, some experiences that you learned some big life lessons through? We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers. Audible. Yes. Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you are currently hooked on Never Lie by Frieda McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. 
So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. So many things. I I think that I built incredible relationships. Um, I also happen to, one of those relationships is my husband. So Love that. I, met, I met my husband. Um, we didn't start dating until he was graduating and I was in my third year. So that wasn't a big part of my law school experience per se, but definitely added to it. But I, I made incredible relationships, built, you know, friendships. And so from a sort of community perspective and connections, um, that was incredible. And I'm still in touch with a lot of my friends and classmates today. And I think from a skills perspective, I learned, you know, great writing skills. I learned how to tell a story in a persuasive way, how to be a narrator and a storyteller. And I've thought a lot recently with some of the work that I've been doing about how that has carried forward. You know, I learned how to critically analyze situations. I was really excited to be able to do public interest work with one of the clinics they have at NYU. And I um, was really also lucky to be able to learn mediation in the early days um, and, and alternative dispute resolution, which I have used many, many times in my career since then. So what did you ultimately end up doing after law school? I thought that I wanted to continue on this path of working with families. And um, I worked as I the clinical work I did at NYU was with the Family Defense Clinic. And so I, but I wanted to be more commercially focused. And so I went to a firm that focused on, uh, that was a litigation firm. I was, I thought of myself as being on the litigation track. And I went to do family law and commercial litigation at a sort of a boutique-ish firm um, in lower Manhattan after I graduated. And um, I quit after one year. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what my parents said at the time. <laughs> tell so um, tell us about so, that. What exactly are you thinking? I realized that I was not, although I was very interested in families and um, some of the pro bono kinds of things that I had done during law school from a, from a job perspective, I realized it was a lot about money and and not about sort of quote unquote helping people and and that also I really felt like I hadn't taken the opportunity to explore during law school a lot of my other interests and this is really talking about some of the challenges and misses that I had during my time at NYU and maybe because I was too busy socializing but I kind of didn't feel like I explored everything that I needed to or wanted to and one of the things that I had really gotten interested in when I was um, in, in law school was um, independent film and fashion and the arts, especially being in um, Manhattan. And um, one of my friends from school started an arts organization um, that was called Gen Art. It's no longer around, but at the time in the in the nineties um, and early two thousands, it was an arts organization dedicated to showcasing the work of. Um, up-and-coming fashion designers, filmmakers, and artists, and connecting them with new audiences. And so um, I decided I was going to go work with Gen Art 
and one of my friends who had founded it and work in entertainment. And I got a job as a talent manager and as a film producer and worked with Gen Art. And I was kind of did a, doing my exploration maybe that I should have done earlier, um, but I was doing it post-graduation. And so I spent about a year and a half maybe doing that. And I eventually found my way back to the law by going to, going to work with an entertainment law firm. And so completely not planned or in any way, you know, strategic, um, but really just following my heart and my instincts. And so I went back to the law as an associate at a small entertainment boutique. Um, we, at that time, were working with a new artist called Britney Spears. We were working with all kinds of films that were going to Sundance Film Festival. It was, um, it was really fun and I loved it. Um, it was all um, transactional IP, um, contracts, licensing. I learned everything on the job because I had really not focused on that much during law school at all. Um, and then I continued on on that path for another, I guess, about seven years. Um, I switched firms. I got married. I switched firms. Um, and then um, and then I took another unusual turn. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> the suspense. Yeah, so um, I just want to go back to you sharing about exploring the law in law school and how maybe whenever you didn't do that, you still had to do that ultimately at the end of the day. So, you know, do you feel like there is a tip out of that or, you know, I immediately think there's a lot of people who don't really know what kind of law they want to do after this is all said and done. And, you know, following your intuition and your heart is nice, but some people, you know, are in really remote areas like Oklahoma City <laughs> as <laughs> not New York, right? So just a little little tip, you know, what did you learn from that? I feel like there's definitely something to be reflected on from that. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I learned that and, and would give advice to the effect that it's really important to be curious and to be curious about yourself, about your interests, about the various kinds of courses and opportunities and internships and, you know, professors and clinics or whatever there may be available to you, wherever it is that you are, to really be curious about them and, and not to assume that it's not for you because, you know, you know that you're on a different track. I'm on the corporate track. I'm on the litigation track. I only want to do pro bono. I only want to do environmental. I only want to do M&A. You know, I think that there are, it's really common to feel that way in law school, that something resonates with you, and then you don't necessarily try out all of the other things that are available. So I definitely think be curious is sort of a mantra. It's something that I talk about um, and write about a lot now. Um, I think it's kind of a lifelong skill, and it's sort of an internally facing skill and an externally facing skill. Be curious about yourself and about others. And then I think the other big thing that I would say is take your time. It's There is not a rush. You don't have to rush to know exactly what path you're going to be on. If you try something in one direction and it doesn't feel like a great fit, you can pivot 
and try something in a different direction. This kind of goes along with trying different things while you're in school. But also, if you don't get it right the first time out of the gate, that's okay. It's okay. You're on a, it's a journey. And, you know, you, there, there isn't a prescription for how to get there. It might feel like that sometimes. And I I think it definitely did for me. And a lot of people like, okay, I've got to do this. I got to get these great grades, be on a journal or, you know, moot court. I got a clerk, maybe I got to go to a big law firm. Then I'm going to go in house or, you know, whatever it is. There is a clear prescribed path that we all know about. And I didn't follow it for one second, <laughs> for not, not for one second of my career. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I think I've been pretty successful, but you know, when you're afraid and you feel like I've got it, I- I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make the wrong choice. I, you know, I don't know what if this isn't for me. Don't worry, try it. Don't be afraid to try and be curious. That's I love that. A, yeah, same. I love that advice. I think that that can service you throughout your career, a law student and even a young attorney, and maybe even in your career. Have you been looking for podcast-like audio lessons to learn about law school? I know when we were in law school, we were begging for something like this. Well, we found just the resource for you, and they are amazing, guys. We've been working with Barcast Audio for over three years now, so basically since we were 1Ls. Now that we are baby little soon-to-be lawyers, we can definitely say that it was worth our time to get Barcast Audio. So if you want to check it out and learn about all the core subjects and the MBE subjects, definitely go to BarcastAudio.com. And Haley, will you tell our listeners their special code? Yes. Use code LADIES. That's L-A-D-I-E-S at BarcastAudio.com to get 10% off your next purchase. So you left us with that dot, dot, dot before. So what was, what did you end up doing and what was the change that you, you, you pursued in your career? So dot, 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 I got pregnant, um, as young lawyers and married couples often do. And, um, I was working at a, at a, in an entertainment firm and I had a really crazy experience where a very, very senior partner, Um, a man told me that I was not good at my job and that um, if he was my dad, he would tell me to do something else. (laughs) Wow. And like have chills. What the heck? What an asshole. (laughs) It was a horrible, game-changing, crazy moment for me. Yeah. There was no way to prepare for that. There was no right way to respond to it. The way I chose to manage it was to leave that firm, to figure out what felt right for me as a new mom Mm -hmm. um, and how I could continue to practice law with and rebuild my confidence because it was shattered. Like one comment from one person like that in that level of power and sort of, you know, position was just incredibly destructive. And I was probably a seventh year maybe at that point. Wow. I mean, I think it's just a testament to the fact that we all 
I know, especially in our community and on our platform, we preach, you know, being perseverant and how mental health is so important. And I can't even imagine what that did for your mental health. And like you said, your confidence and having to rebuild that. And as a lawyer and as someone who is an associate, I feel like it's hard to build that confidence and I can't even imagine. So I'm so sorry that happened to you. No, that's okay. I mean, it's, it, I'm sorry it happened to me too, but it also having gone through that did help me build resilience and yeah. it was hard. Um, so I decided at, that as a new mom and as a youngish lawyer, not, I wasn't a baby. I mean, I was a toddler yeah. <laughs> or a school age lawyer at that point that I would start my own little practice and, and I would do a little bit of teaching at a local college and I would kind of carve my own path. So I was non-unconventional from yeah. the jump, really. And so I did that and I just opened my own practice. It was just me. Um, I, I think of it as a mommy practice. I don't know if that's <laughs> appropriate, I love it. That, but it kind of was like, it allowed yeah. me to, to you know, do some work on a small scale for clients. I worked entirely with um, independent film producers and distribution companies. This was pre-Netflix, pre, you know, I mean, I wasn't pre-internet, but it was definitely pre-internet. <laughs> so there were still DVDs. The Netflix was happening in red envelopes at that time. Okay, um, yeah. Not online. And, um, and so I just built relationships with clients that I had either started working with or new ones that I found and worked in a relatively sort of niche area, kept it at a manageable level. And then I kind of grew from there as my, and then I had another child eventually. And I worked, um, I worked with a consulting firm uh, at the time, which was brand new called Axiom. I don't know if you've ever heard of Axiom Legal, but they're an alternative legal services firm. Mm -hmm. And they started in the early 2000s. Um, and I was kind of a, almost a poster child. Literally, I think they did a photo shoot with me and my son and my dog because we were sort of, you know, one of the ways you could be a lawyer and be unconventional and, and still work with great clients and do great work. Yeah. Um, and so I worked with them um, and some of their clients and I worked with some of my own clients and I ended up doing that for about seven years, um, seven or eight years. And um I gained a lot of experience working with different in-house legal departments um, and really kind of opened myself up to just lots of different experiences and being able to kind of jump into a situation, realizing that I was good actually at what I did and did know how to practice and, and be a great part of a team and work with clients. And so in 2010, Axiom connected me with Gucci um, and they, I had become pretty skilled at jumping into new situations at that time, uh, by that time. And so I went to Gucci as a consultant in 2010 and I never left. <laughs> for 10 years. Why would oh, you? Yeah, like, well, I would never leave either. <laughs> Me neither. I mean, right. It's kind of a, you know, ladies who law school type dream job. Yeah, Definitely. For for many of us, including me. And um, it was pretty, pretty special. And it was a huge step for me to build my skill set beyond um, kind of the IP, the contracts, um, a little bit of employment work that I had done. But, you know, this was really 
a big step up and scary and intimidating and could I do it? And, you know, what was it going to be like to go back into the corporate world, by the way, because I had only been, you know, working for myself and being a consultant for the prior seven or eight years. And so that was a really scary, big decision, but really one of the best of my career, for sure. So at Gucci, what are you focusing on? You know, like, what does your day to day look like? You know, what kind of matters? Not like specifics, obviously, but you know, overarching topics that you're dealing with. So when I was at Gucci, the categories of work that we really focused on were IP. So brand protection, trademarks, a lot of trademarks in in fashion and luxury. Um, We worked a lot on real estate because we did a lot of commercial leasing. So that was completely new to me. I had never done that before. I literally learned that on the job as the general counsel and worked with amazing outside counsel to help me. Nice. And I did a lot of just commercial partnership agreements, vendor agreements, you know, contracts, Um, a lot of employment law. We had thousands of employees um, in North America, which was the region that I was responsible for, partly also in South America for a period of time, but mostly North America. Um, And I also took care of many of, of all the other luxury brands that were in the same group. So I actually worked with about seven brands, including Gucci. Um, And it's interesting because as a shared, as I was what was called a shared service we're part of a shared service platform. So Caring is the parent company for Gucci and owns um, many different brands. And so we also took care of the legal services in North America for Balenciaga, for Alexander McQueen, for Bottega Veneta, for Saint Laurent, um, and many others. Um, And we being the team that I really built from scratch, because when I got there in 2010, there wasn't much there, honestly. There had been a lawyer there previously, but he hadn't really been sort of focused on the full suite of GC services. And so I built it to be, you know, a small but mighty department. And we focused on the areas that I just shared, as well as I'm trying to think a lot of compliance issues um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of marketing support and communication support and really got into all kinds of different areas of the business sounds like a little bit of everything yeah and getting to do it (laughs) a lot of everything right yeah and getting to do that for such amazing brands sounds like such an experience so do you you said you never left so are you still there or do you have something new going on well I was sort of joking when I say I never left I, (laughs) I did leave but um, I, I, but not before I stayed for ten years, and then um, they became my client. So it kind of came full circle. In, during the pandemic, um, I had kind of gotten to a place in my career where I felt like I was ready for a change, and it was kind of hard to believe because I did have this, you know, quote unquote, dream job, and it was um, incredible, and I loved it, and I had learned so much, and I had built so much, and grown so much. But I think professionally for me, it felt time for something different. Um, And so I developed the idea for Fixer, um, which is the consulting firm that I launched in 2021, in January 21. Um, And Gucci, along with a few other brands, 
were my first clients. And really it was my next chapter with, with them. And we recently, earlier this year, stopped working together because they hired a, a new GC to take over. And it was time for us to, to give each other a hug and part ways. But I, the fact is we're, you know, I'm still in touch with many of my colleagues there and we, um, you know, have, have a great relationship. It was like almost like a family that I built um, and that we carry on in different ways, but really an incredible, incredible relationship. And then Fixer was born. Um, so next dot, 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 <laughs> it was the next chapter. <laughs> so why don't you tell us all about Fixer and, you know, what, what, what does that mean to you? Sure. So I think to me, we're all fixers in our own ways. And to me, being a fixer means being a creative problem solver. Um, so when we're as a lawyer, um, fixer sometimes has negative connotations. And I've yeah. intentionally played with that in the name of my company um, to be a little bit provocative. Um, my husband called, called me a ninja fixer. <laughs> When I when I was thinking about the branding for this business, and yeah. I worked with a very good friend who runs this incredible branding firm, and I asked for help um, putting putting this branding together, and I told him the story about how my husband said I'm a ninja fixer from you know the kids to the home to the work to all of it, and this is yeah. you know very typical of a lot of women lawyers, and so and women in other fields as well. But especially being a mom, especially being a lawyer and running sort of all of things, the things that go along with that. And so the the branding friends and team that I worked with said, fixer, fixer, that's it. And my friend who is a man who was a partner in this branding agency, he said, it'll help you. He said, don't call it, you know, Mara Consulting Group or something typical like that, which is what I thought about. This will let you fight above your weight class. And I thought, okay, this is definitely like a guy thing to say. And it's definitely one of those moments where, you know, we all know about how, you know, men feel more confident to try things that they've never done before. And women feel like they have to already know how to do them before they can even, you know, attempt something. And we sort of try to overcompensate in that way. And in this case, I was like, all right, I'm going to step outside my comfort zone and I'm going to do something I'm going to, I'm going to punch above my weight class <laughs> um, and, and just get comfortable with that uncom- discomfort. And the idea, which I had already created, but I didn't have the name, was to really create the kind of shared service platform and provide the same, the kinds of services that the, that me and my colleagues provided to the brands that were part of the conglomerate at Caring. And so um, when I said I worked with seven brands, you know, even though Gucci was my sort of home brand and and the biggest one, um, I also worked with smaller companies and I knew that there were endless numbers of companies in the luxury space, in retail and fashion and hospitality and beauty and jewelry, you know, really in consumer products that were independently owned, that weren't owned by a conglomerate with a whole platform of of service providers at their disposal. And I knew there was a, a niche and a need for this kind of work. And I, I did my due diligence and I talked to lots of people and I networked and, and, and researched. And, um, and I found that there was a lot of receptivity to this 
to this hypothesis that I had and building my own business was for me, the, the need that I had to fill for myself professionally, like in not a mommy way <laughs> anymore, but in sort of a big way. Um, my kids were older yeah. and I felt like I had the sort of energy and bandwidth somehow to do this crazy thing. And, and I wanted to combine it with non-legal services as well. So the idea was to create this kind of hybrid law firm management consulting practice, which um, I did and launched and is incredibly successful. <laughs> it's actually, I'm actually doing it. Guess what? Um, I'm here. Yay. yay, yay, yay. So yeah, you've been in in practice, shall we say, doing this for probably about a year and a half now, right? So yeah. what do you what do you say now? Do you have some good clients? Is, are things going well? Things are going great. I was I was very lucky to be able to transition my relationship with Gucci. So I turned my employment relationship into a consulting and client relationship. And you know, I think that idea came to me in large part because that's how I went into the relationship. I didn't have a path charted for how to be the general counsel of a, you know, world famous luxury brand. I really got there in a very organic way. And then I left in a very organic way. And the clients that I work with now are um, smaller luxury brands, um, contemporary fashion brands, um, jewelry brands, tech companies, real estate firms, really um, businesses that are at the center of and sort of adjacent to retail. A lot of brands that you would have heard of, and I guess I can probably share a few, but it's, um, it's really cool. And I work very closely with CEOs and founders and nice. I get to have a huge impact. So what does a legal slash non-legal practice management company, you know, what do you guys do? Because it's not necessarily just a law firm. No. So we are a consulting firm that provides legal services. And so technically speaking, and I, I did my due diligence and worked with a professional um, responsibility expert on how to structure my firm, um, because there are lots of rules and regulations about lawyers owning different kinds of businesses or other kinds of businesses owning law firms and things like that. And so I learned how to set it up. I didn't know on my own, but I consulted with an expert. And so Fixer is actually owned by a law firm. So there is a Mara Law Group. Mara Law Group is a law firm and it is the parent company for Fixer Advisory Group. Nice. <laughs> so I I've got Mara Law Group is the is the law firm entity. It owns the consulting firm and we provide sort of dual track services. So depending on what a client's needs might be, we'll have actually two engagement letters. So we'll have a legal engagement letter for the legal services and we'll have a consulting engagement letter for the consulting services. Um, and this really mimics what it's like to work in-house and be part of an in-house team because a lot yeah. of some of the services that you're doing are business services and some of them are truly legal. Um, and so my goal is to really be able to act like the in-house legal department and, and a couple of other functions and HR and DE&I and 
real estate and some other um, sustainability. And we, we, we can talk a little bit more about the specific areas, but to really be able to provide our clients with that kind of in-house experience. So we don't bill hourly. Um, we're open to being contacted at any time and really being part of the team for each of our clients. And we provide a wide range of services. So we provide a lot of our clients with outsourced general counsel services. So take all the categories that I mentioned before from commercial contracts, corporate corporate governance, compliance, real estate, empl- employment, yeah. IP, all of those services um, are kind of housed under the GC, the external GC services uh, pillar. And then we also do a lot of work on HR. We do with, you know, helping companies and clients with their HR services. I have HR experts on my team. We do a lot of work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I have have an amazing diversity expert on my team um, who happens to be a former lawyer and brilliant, you know, Mm -hmm. person in in all respects. And um, we do a lot of work around real estate, finding stores and retail locations and offices and things like that for our clients. And we work with brokers, um, depending on that, uh, on the situation, we help brands that are coming from outside of the U S to operate better in the U S. Um, since we happen to have a specialty in that having been with, um, foreign brands working in the U S like Gucci and the others that I mentioned. Um, and so we tailor make each, Um, engagement for our clients, depending on what their needs are. And sometimes they vary over time. It might start off with them needing help with um, some HR matters, and then we move into legal support or into diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Um, That work is particularly interesting and intriguing, and I had started doing some of that work while I was in-house at Gucci. And so it's been really incredibly rewarding to carry that over and to work on that along with sort of work that I call corporate culture work. That's, that's really sort of a hybrid of DE&I and HR and in some ways, corporate communications. Love it. That's awesome. <laughs> I just, overall, just listening to your story, I think about the pivoting that you mentioned and how it, it kind of just sounds natural when you look back on it. I'm sure there are times where you're like, what am I doing? And was this the right decision? And like we all have, right. But it worked out and constantly you talked about relationships and how important those are. So I think that that's one of the biggest takeaways that I had. Also, clearly you're not afraid to pivot. I think, you know, and I think that's a huge takeaway that all our listeners can, you know, like it's okay to not do the prescribed thing that they tell you and do forge your own path. Like no one's saying you have to do a certain thing. Absolutely. Yes. And it's like there is this prescribed path that's sort of what you learn and what your what your placement office tells you and and what the kind of, um, you know, there, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. And yeah. it works really well for a lot of people. But if that doesn't work for you or it doesn't feel right, um, don't don't be afraid to pivot and don't don't be afraid. <laughs> and that's, that. that's that's something that I learned um, well into my 40s um, mm-hmm. and my relationship to fear and kind of confronting it and look, thinking about how much that was that was impacting 
me and it didn't stop me from making my decisions. I made a lot of, I've made a lot of scary decisions along the way, including, you know, 18 months ago. Um, that was a huge leap and a really scary one, but I don't think I would have done it if I was, you know, if I let the fear of being different, of being disruptive, of doing something that wasn't, you know, sort of the traditional path, I, take hold. If that was what guide, would guide me, then I wouldn't have done it. You know, I remember writing down literally all of the fears that I had um, when I was thinking about creating Fixer. I, t- I have a very, very dear friend who's an entertainment lawyer. She's uh, been a mentor to me and a friend for all these years. And she, you know, and so, sorry, I'm interrupting myself, but going back to relationships, you know, building that that's a relationship. I was on the opposite side of a deal from her, you know, 17 years ago and we became friends and she has been someone who has supported me throughout my career. She, she continued to represent entertainment clients and she encouraged me to follow my instincts, um, to not be afraid to, to write down my fears. She provided me with office space. She literally incubated me, even though I spent most of the time launching my company in my living room, (laughs) Um, (laughs) time to go back to the office and time to have a space and, and be grounded. She provided a safe place for me to do that. So I really believe in giving back, especially to other women who are on their journey. It's hard. It's a struggle and it's scary along the way. And so I think what I was saying was that I wrote down, she said, write down everything you're afraid of. Because I was like, I'm afraid that no one will ever have lunch with me again. I'm afraid that no one will ever talk to me again. What if I fail? What if I'm, what if I make a fool of myself? You know, why would I leave Gucci? Who would do that? What am I insane? You know, all of that went through my head and, and, uh, I wrote it down. So sometimes just something as simple as doing that can be really helpful. Get it out of your head and onto paper. And then you realize that, you know, what a lot of the things that tend to, you tend to be afraid of are, um, you know, are coming from you and your own head and your own inner critic, um, more so than the reality out there or other those irrational fears that we all have. Absolutely. Well, Nicole, we appreciate you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. If anyone of the listeners out there want to reach out to you and chat with you further about what you do, maybe even get coffee with you in New York, where can Mm -hmm. they find you? They can find me at um, fixeradvisory.com. We also have an Instagram and a LinkedIn. They can send me an email at info at fixeradvisory.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been great. You guys, I mean, this lady is just like none other. She is so cool, so kind, so sweet. She is so cool. Like, I can't even get over the fact that she worked for Gucci, Balenciaga, and so many other brands. It also takes me back to the House of Gucci movie when they sold out they a caring group maybe this is literally the group that she worked with that bought them out so and also I just loved what she said that there came a point where she and Gucci basically had to hug and say goodbye because it was just time and their relationship had evolved and you know run its course but it was still such a good relationship and it didn't have to end on a sour note for her to move on and she still talks to so many of 
the people over there. So I just thought that uh, she was just someone I definitely look up to. And, you know, just her whole story just really mm, resonated with me. And I, I really, yeah, like I said, look up to her. What do you think? I agree. I think she, the way she paved the way for herself is really cool. And the fact that she didn't give in to like the norm, you know, just because like we also did that. Um, but yeah, I think she was great. I do think that we should get more lawyers of different fashion houses. Oh, absolutely agree. I would love to have some big luxury brand name GCs uh, on the podcast. So if any one of you guys out there, you know, know somebody or have interned with somebody or anything like that, please let us know. We would love to figure out who these people are and reach out to them and, you know, even take them for coffee because we like to do that before we have people on the podcast if we can. Right. So yeah, I, I totally agree, Samantha. I mean, it was also really cool to know too, that there were so many uh, smaller, different types of brands that she works with now as in her current role at Fixer. So I'm sure that she knows all kinds of people out there that it would just be, you know, great to also learn about some new fashion brands. Yes, for sure. So if you guys want more interviews like this, definitely subscribe so you can get a notification for every Monday when we post a new episode. Also, of course, go to the Ladies Who Law School podcast on Instagram because we're always posting pics and reels and all the fun things as always guys please make sure and give us your reviews and ratings we always like to hear what you think and what your ideas are as we move forward with the podcast we look forward to talking to you guys again next week bye